each gospel author should be taken on their own. What they're doing, what you do when you harmonize is you basically make a third story that neither Matthew or Luke actually said. You know, when you make this mismatch of, uh, of a gospel story that you tell in church, you've now made the gospel according to the First Baptist Church of Memphis, you know, <laughs> not the gospel according to Matthew or the gospel according to Luke. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of Reason to Doubt, your podcast for everything skeptical. Today, we're going to be covering uh, the nativity. But first, well, I guess we should tell you our names. I'm Jared. And with me, as always, <laughs> is Jordan, if you didn't know that already. But today's episode, uh, you know, with the Christmas uh, season coming upon us, and I should mention this is the Christian nativity. So the nativity being the story around the birth of Jesus with Joseph and Mary. And so you'll probably have a lot of relatives who bring up, you know, things, or you may be over at somebody's house and you see like a little nativity set there and you'll see some magi with some shepherds and like, wait a second, something seems a little off well, here. So if you're in a Western country, like most people listen to this, I'm pretty sure it'd be in America, you'll be very familiar with the nativity story, right? Yeah. Uh, the story we all heard in church and some of us probably played sheep number two or whatever. Yeah, pretty high status there. You're sheep number yeah. two. <laughs> right. Uh, well, I played the innkeeper in yeah. my uh, thing. but And the weatherman, because there was a weatherman in mine. But in any case, so you've all heard the nativity story. Most casual Christians would believe they have a good idea of, you know, how the story of Jesus' birth is recorded in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, or interestingly maybe, I think that there's a lot more there than people might assume. Because really what we have is not just one nativity story, but two nativity stories yeah. that are kind of mashed together to get the story that we talk about in church. Right. We're going to go into some of the some of the things to be skeptical about certain claims and whatnot within the nativity story. But first, today's podcast uh, is brought to you by the argument from incredulity, or sometimes known as the argument from personal incredulity. And uh, Jordan recently did a debate where this particular fallacy came into play quite a bit. And I think uh, he might have a few words to say about it. Yeah. So the argument from personal incredulity is not even sure it rises necessarily to the level of informal fallacy. But basically the way it goes is I cannot personally see a way that would work. Therefore, it doesn't. So, for example... Suppose that you didn't know anything about geology, for example, and someone said to you, well, there's these rocks that are bent. And you're like, well, rocks can't bend. I can't think of any way they could possibly bend. Therefore, it's magic. Yeah, it, it's a pretty um, it's a pretty simple one, but it basically goes like, you know, you I can't imagine how X could be true. Therefore, X must be false, or I can't think how X could be false, therefore X must be true. Right. Um, so, and the way to, to combat a fallacy like this is basically just be humble about the status of your own knowledge. Like, no one can be an expert in every field, and just because you can't think of a solution doesn't mean that there isn't a solution. So if you run into a, a situation where uh, you think a scientist or some researcher is saying something that's completely ridiculous and stupid just ask the question like instead of saying man that scientist is so dumb why not say hey this scientist is saying something that sounds pretty dumb what does he know that i don't yeah because it's probably a lot more if you're not a scientist in that field too so (laughs) yeah probably yeah anyway back to the nativity we've mentioned this on the podcast in the past several times but there's something called the synoptic problem and basically, the first three Gospels uh, used each other a lot, uh, in some cases up to 98% copy and verbatim. And so, you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the, the synoptic Gospels, and then John does his own thing. The only two Gospels that we have that actually cover the, the birth story of Jesus is Matthew and Luke. And like Jordan already said, they differ on some things. But just know that there is a problem with the Gospels, and so that's why we're covering it. So like, it's not like just, yeah. Basically, the, the synoptic, synoptic means seen together. Hmm. And so Mark came first, and Matthew and Luke both used Mark, but neither Matthew or Luke used Mark for the birth stories because Mark doesn't talk about it. 
So they made uh, up their own. <laughs> yeah. So they did, they did their own thing. Um, and this is perhaps not obvious at first. If you just read Matthew and then you read Luke, you might think that they're talking about the same thing. I mean, Jesus is born. His parents are Joseph and Mary. Mary's a virgin. He's born in Bethlehem. They end up in Nazareth. Jesus gets baptized. Bip, bop, boom. Boom. Both stories, done. That's called reading the Gospels vertically. But if you want to find differences, if you want to really dig into what one person is saying versus another person, you really need to do what's called reading them horizontally. And that means you just put one Gospel next to the other. There are books that do this, or you can just kind of go back and forth, flip them back and forth in your Bible or whatever. But read what happens in Matthew, then read the same story in Luke, and examine the differences. Yeah. Like, just go back and forth between them. And when you're going point by point, uh, you might see a, a lot of the differences that you might have missed if you're just reading the whole thing will jump out at you. Right. They become more apparent. And... Right. So. so something that we can do just to start out with is just list what happens. If you just go down what happens in Matthew and then what happened in Luke, if you sit down and do that list, what you'll find is that the two lists are almost completely different like i said they do share the the couple like the the super broad strokes you know like there was mary and joseph and jesus was born like the characters are the same but it's like it's like luke is is the modern reboot uh the grittier reboot of matthew so just going down the list i just earlier today pulled out my bible and just literally just kind of went down the list and matthew mary uh conceives jesus by the holy spirit then Joseph receives a visit from an angel because Joseph is pissed and an angel comes. It's like, bro, it's fine. It was God. Yeah, so, I mean, I would bro, be pissed cool. too if my wife-to-be got pregnant. It's like, and I know yeah. I hadn't done it. <laughs> right. Uh, so they're in Bethlehem when this happens and Jesus is born in Bethlehem. The wise men see a star that appears when he's born and they then follow. They speak to King Herod. Joseph and Mary are warned by God and they run away to Egypt. Herod doesn't like the idea there's another king about to come about, so he kills all the male children in Bethlehem, aged two years and younger. And remember that, because that's going to be relevant. He kills everyone who's two years and younger because he was backtracking off of what the wise men said. So uh, that that's happening like two years after the fact. Then Herod dies while Joseph and Mary are, are in Egypt, so they think everything's cool, so they go back to Israel, back to Bethlehem. But then they find out Herod's son is in charge, and they're like, oh, we, be- we best not mess with that. So they go up north instead to Nazareth, and then John baptizes Jesus. So yeah. that's the story up to Jesus' ministry in Matthew. Uh, you might have noticed a lot of familiar things are missing from that story. The wise men were there, yeah. but where are those shepherds? Well, don't worry, they're coming. <laughs> Flip over to Luke, which starts with John the Baptist being miraculously born of a woman named Elizabeth, who's an old and barren woman. So it's, you know, she wasn't expecting to have a child. An angel appears this time to Mary to tell her that Jesus is, you know, son of God, et cetera, et cetera. When Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, Elizabeth's womb, like the, the infant John the Baptist literally like jumps for joy in the womb. because He's like so a little stoked. fist bump through the stomach. Yeah, <laughs> right. John the Baptist is born, destined to be a prophet. Caesar Augustus orders a census of all the people throughout the empire. We're going to talk about that census more later. Joseph and Mary... They live in Nazareth, but they have to go to Bethlehem for the census because that's where Joseph's ancestor David is from. While there in Bethlehem, Mary gives birth to Jesus. There's no space at the end, so they're away in a manger, blah, 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 wrapped up in, with the sheep and stuff. The angels go get the shepherds who then come, little drummer boy. Pum, 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 pum. There's no drummer boy in, in the gospel, though. Yeah, well, but, I mean, yeah, it's implied. Okay. It's implied. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus gets the tip of his penis t- uh, cut off and is presented at the temple. Uh, several people talk about how awesome he is. After purification, which is about 40 days, Joseph and Mary, re- blah, blah, Maria, Joseph and Mary return to Nazareth, go back home. Jesus teaches the temple and people are amazed and John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. So that's the two stories. When you read them out like that, just go and listen them out, it's pretty crazy how much of the stuff that you normally think of being in in the nativity story itself yeah. is missing from one or the other right john or luke has the shepherds and not having space in the inn yep. but doesn't have the wise men 
Matthew has those wise men, but then they take this trip to Egypt, which is missing. So the, there's differences in these two historical accounts. Well, and one, Herod's killing babies left and right, and the other is just a right. synthesis. <laughs> yeah. So like, where was Jesus? Where, where were Mary and Joseph from? In Matthew, they were clearly from Bethlehem. Like they, they lived in Bethlehem. That's why they had a baby there. When they fled to Egypt and they came back, they went back to Bethlehem. And they only went to Nazareth because Bethlehem wasn't safe. But in Luke, they are explicitly from Nazareth. And they go to Bethlehem for, for, a, uh, for the census. For the census, yeah. After Jesus' birth, did they go from Bethlehem to Nazareth? Or did they take this slight detour to a completely different country for several <laughs> years? So there's, there's a lot of differences. And some of them are... You can harmonize, perhaps. So some of them are real problems if you're trying to view these as historical documents that are reporting something that actually happened. Yeah. And real quick, uh, harmonize basically means you, you take two stories that seem dissimilar and you figure out a way that they, they work together. A lot of times, that's what the nativity scene is. It's a harmonized story of mm-hmm. Mar- yeah. uh, Matthew and Luke. They just put all the pieces together. But usually in Sunday school, they ignore the whole killing babies part. Yeah. They just don't talk about that. So we'll go over like some of the historical problems, but first you might be wondering, well, why would they do this? Like, what's the point of these two authors? They're writing at about the same time. Matthew and Luke both are writing in like the 80s CE, so about 50 years after Jesus died, which would put it like 80 years after the events that they're talking about Mm -hmm. here. It seems like they go through an awful lot of trouble to get Jesus into Bethlehem. And the reason they do all these hoops it seems, is that prophecy dictated that the future ruler of Israel had to be from Bethlehem. Matthew, in particular, is super about prophecy, and he like throws out prophecies like every other verse. For everything he does, there's a prophecy for it. He literally says, this was done to fulfill the prophecy. Like, right. Yeah. I'll, give, I'll give credit to him. He cites every single one of his prophecies. Yeah. Like, well, there's a, he does cite them. There's a couple, actually, it was interesting that he cites a prophecy, and like he's citing something that doesn't exist. So either there's a text missing in the old Testament or he's just making up crap. So, Well, that's, that's a good point. He, he does appear to cite prophecies, cite books in a Bible that no longer exist, yeah. which shows that he was using a different text. But the, the relevant one for Bethlehem is Micah five, two, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Is that how you pronounce that? Whatever. You, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. So the future king of, of Israel had to be from Bethlehem. But everybody knew Jesus was from Nazareth. He was Jesus of Nazareth. That, that's who he was. And so it seems, we can't go into Matthew and Luke's head to you know, we don't want to do psychology, but it seems like the motivation was everyone knew Jesus was from Nazareth, but everyone also knew the future king had to be from Bethlehem. How do you get those two things together? Yeah. And Matthew solved it one way and Luke solved it another. And this is how we know that Matthew and Luke were writing without this knowledge of like one another too. Cause if Matthew had Luke, he would have been like, Oh, or if Luke had Matthew, I should say he would be like, Oh, well, that that works. I should just go with that way. You know, it's like yeah. either either for whatever reason, Luke decided that Matthew's account wasn't relevant, or more likely, what happened, like you said, is they didn't have each other. It doesn't appear that they they were aware of each other. But anyway, so that that's the motivation. But of course, you run into some problems when you do this. So, just off the top, we've talked about the conflicts of like where they were born, but. Luke makes some pretty bold claims his, from a historical standpoint. Yeah, stuff that we should be able to go and check back in the historical right. record. Right. So Luke says that the reason Joseph and Mary left their home of Nazareth to go to Bethlehem was because the Caesar, because the, the ruler of Rome, the emperor, and Rome ruled over Israel in this time, he had ordered a worldwide census, probably meaning like empire-wide, you yeah. know, the Roman world. And so they had to leave their town of Nazareth to go to Bethlehem because Joseph was of the line of David, like his ancestor, David, was from Bethlehem, which might sound reasonable until you think, wait a minute, David lived like thousands of years ago at this point. 
Like he's like ancient. He's like King Arthur. Yeah. Ancient, you know, like founding father sort of like, thing. They, and, and granted, they didn't have Ancestry.com back then. <laughs> right. So, so first of all, what kind of crazy census is this? Everybody in Rome has to go to the town of their ancestors from a thousand years ago? Like, why? What? That makes no sense. The point of the census is so you know where people are so you can charge taxes. Like, like if, if I told you, we're going to do a, a census, go back to where your ancestor was from a thousand, where would you go? You know? Honestly, I have no idea. Like, right. How, how would anybody know? Yeah, it doesn't make any yeah. sense. And let's say they did that. Th- can you imagine the number of people that would have to move back and forth across oh, hey, Rome? Like the, the traveling alone would be crazy. Right. And nobody mentioned it. Nobody, yeah. nobody in all of Rome thought, man, this is stupid. It, I, you know. it literally would have been one of the biggest migrations in history. Right. And even if we ignore the the from hometown thing, maybe that's just an embellishment, but um, we also have pretty decent records of the rule of Caesar Augustus, and there's no mention of a census at that time. Yeah. There are censuses before and after that time, but it doesn't... They don't match up with the time of the supposed birth of Jesus. Right. So it's possible there was a census then. But if so, the Bible is the only place that seems to remember. So yeah, that's something that we would expect to find elsewhere if it in fact happened when they said it happened, but it didn't. And it's just implausible. Another thing, this one is also from Luke, because Luke's the one that makes the bolder claims. Quirinius is said to be the governor of Syria in Luke at the time when Herod ruled Judea. So he mentions these two rulers as a way to place his gospel in history. Unfortunately, we know from inscriptions around the time and from the Jewish uh, historian Josephus, which we've talked about before, that Quirinius didn't become the governor until 10 years after Herod was dead. There was no overlap between the two. Right. So it's an open question as to whether where Luke is actually trying to situate his story. It appears he made a mistake. Well, the other thing, too, you have to to understand or maybe just consider is that you could say stuff during a time like this, knowing that people didn't have access to like Luke wrote this, not thinking that there was going to be people on the internet scouring, like, you know, ancient texts, like criticizing and scrutinizing everything he wrote down. So, I mean, it would have been pretty passable information back then too. Yeah. And Luke mentions that he got his information from a variety of sources, but he didn't have Google, mm-hmm. you know? And so, and also that the point of these gospels, something that situating these books in their context, what the Gospels were for was not what modern people tend to think of them as a way to record like the history. Right. Here's we as eyewitnesses, here's what we saw. It it doesn't appear that, first of all, that they're eyewitnesses. We have a whole podcast on that you can check out. But also, they don't appear to be super concerned with historical accuracy so much as with theological truth. Right. But what we can do though is they they contain historical elements which can let us know like how credible they are or how credible we should view them because if they're not credible on certain things they may not be credible on others not saying that they aren't but yeah so the point of these books were they were written by believers for other believers to help them with their beliefs to like communicate truths spiritual truths about jesus and his life that was the point. I don't think that if we could pull Luke into the present day and we showed him that he was wrong about the reigning of Quirinius and Herod, I don't think it would bother him that much. Mm-mm. You know, because like, oh, the point. Yeah. Okay. But the point was Jesus is Lord. That was, yeah. that was the point. Luke would be like, you're missing the point, man. Right. <laughs> so we should be, even as we're we're highlighting these historical problems and some plausibility problems, it doesn't mean that the authors are trying to be dubious. Right. It it doesn't necessarily mean that Luke was trying to dupe people or, or to pull the wool over anyone's eyes. It just means that they didn't have good, accurate records or chose to ignore them for theological reasons because that wasn't the point. Right. In Luke's mind, Jesus was the Messiah and he, he knew from the Old Testament from the Hebrew Bible that the Messiah had to be in Bethlehem. And so he's like, okay, well, I don't know the story completely. So I need to figure out a way to get my story to have Jesus in Bethlehem. And he's like, and for him, that fulfills the duty of the gospel. It's like, exactly. Like the point I know for a fact, Jesus is Messiah. And I know for a fact, the Messiah comes from Bethlehem. 
So I'm going to give the most plausible account I can that puts those two facts together. Yeah. It, it seems weird to us, like, you know, looking back on it, um, what's the word, uh, anachronistically, mm-hmm. that somebody would do that and, and they wouldn't think anything of it, but it's just the way it was. Right. Which highlights the problem. Well, not necessarily a problem, but the mindset that you had need to have, not just when you're reading the Bible, but any book from a time or culture not your own it's always written in a certain context for the people of its time Mm -hmm. so in the case of the gospels they were written in greek probably not in israel uh, primarily to christian audiences and these christians were mostly people who used to be pagan yeah and so like a lot of those things wouldn't have mattered actually uh for example mark doesn't spend a lot of time on the the Jewish stuff because it doesn't really make that big a difference. Whereas Matthew's like his audience is very Jewish. And so he's going to spend a lot of time on prophecies like ad nauseum. Right. Each, each gospel author should be taken on their own. That what they're doing, what you do when you harmonize is you basically make a third story that neither Matthew or Luke actually said. You know, when you make this mismatch of uh, of a gospel story that you tell in church, you've now made the gospel according to the First Baptist Church of Memphis. You know, (laughs) (laughs) not the gospel according to Matthew or the gospel according to Luke. Right. Which is maybe go on a tangent here, but it's interesting that that we do that or that, you know, Christian churches do that. Somebody had to make a decision at some point to say, all right, let's tell the story this way. Now, I would like to give people the benefit of a doubt that maybe they're just like, I don't want to read two different stories. Let's just make one. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So another crazy thing, this one's from Matthew, not from Luke, is that they took this whole huge trip to Egypt, which if you pull up a map, it's not a short trip. No. It's like going to Florida. <laughs> right. And so. Well, well, I guess if you're in Florida and you go to Florida. But anyways. It's like going from D.C. to Florida. Right, right, right. Yeah. that it, It's like going from a place where you are to a place very far away. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so the reason they do this is because Herod is a client king for Rome. He's a, he's a Jewish king who rules in the name of Rome. And he learns from these wise men who come from the east. They followed a star that showed up when Jesus was born. And then it took them two years to get to Israel. And they're like, hey, where's this Messiah that was born? Didn't you see the star in the sky? And Herod's like, no, but could you show me where this Messiah is? Because I would definitely like to talk to him. (laughs) (laughs) And so the wise men go and they did the frankincense and myrrh and stuff. And then because they realize that Herod probably doesn't want to do good things to a rival king. Right. They leave without talking to him. And that's when they flee. And so the, the thing that's happening is there's a king that's going to be coming up. Well, if this new guy is going to be a king, Herod can't be king no more, right? Yeah. And kings don't like to have competition. And so Herod kills every child of Jesus' age or younger, that age being two years. And again, Matthew tells us explicitly his motivation here. The coming out of Egypt story, which requires that you go to Egypt first, it fulfills a prophecy. Out of Egypt, I called my son. That's in Matthew 2.15. So Matthew, again, is very concerned with Hebrew prophecies, and perhaps that was the reason his story differed from Luke. One thing that both Gospels agree on is that Mary was a virgin when she conceived and gave birth to Jesus. Both of them agree that Mary conceived supernaturally straight from the Holy Spirit. This is this is an interesting one because there is a passage in the Old Testament that references a virgin, but it only references it in the Septuagint, I believe, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament. And so I, I may be wrong here. So I have it in the Bible that I have in my hands, the ESV. It says... Be, this is in Matthew one twenty three because he cites prophecies all over the place. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name call his name Emmanuel. 
which means God with us, which they didn't, but okay. And I have the word underlined virgin in Hebrew, Elmaheb, uh, and in Greek, Parthenos. And of course, this was written in Greek. So they would have been using the Septuagint, which was the Greek Old Testament for Greek-speaking Jews. Yeah. And I, well, I think what I was trying to say is like, in the original Hebrew, um, the word didn't mean that. And then when they translated it into the Septuagint, into the Greek, it took on this this ver- word virgin. And so originally, because they were using Greek, they said, oh, well, we got to make this dude born of a virgin. But that prophecy didn't really speak of a virgin in the original Hebrew. Right. The original Hebrew was referring to a woman who was full of vigor, having reached puberty and was of the age to bear children. So basically she was of childbearing age, but it didn't necessarily imply that she was a virgin. She could be a virgin, but it wasn't implied by the word. But the Greek word that was used when they translated it is the word virgin. And so there was some confusion. They were citing an Old Testament prophecy, but it wasn't actually what the Old Testament prophecy was. But so it's very interesting because they were they were they had this part in their story about her being a virgin in order to fulfill a prophecy that wasn't actually a prophecy. I think that one is huge because it it shows that they were making up this story to fulfill something that necessarily wasn't a problem to begin with. Right. It it clearly shows the motivation of. Matthew and Matthew is like rife with that, but yeah. even Luke, it shows the motivation. Why did they make her a virgin to fulfill prophecy? Why did they have him born in Bethlehem to fulfill prophecy? It doesn't matter whether she was actually a virgin. The point is, we have to retrofit our story to backfill the prophecy. Right. And so, one of the proofs that I hear all the time is that we know that Jesus is the Messiah because he fulfilled ancient prophecy. So this is something I'd like to talk about. Is it that Jesus fulfilled ancient prophecy or is it more likely that somebody had ancient prophecy when they were writing the story about Jesus and said, let me prop this guy up by making it so he fulfills these prophecies. Let me tell his story in a way that, yep, check that box, check that box, check. Ooh, there's one. Let's do that too. Like that seems more probable to me than some guy actually came along and fulfilled all these prophecies. And, And again, like we mentioned before with the Bethlehem thing, it it's with Luke, it's not necessarily that they're trying to be deceptive. Like we're not saying they might be, but we're not saying necessarily that the author of Luke or of Mark or John was intentionally lying to fill the story because you have to, you have to get into the mindset of the author for these authors. Jesus was the Messiah, the end, like definitely was. That is a fact. Yeah. And if you know for a fact Jesus is Messiah, but you also know or you think you know that for a fact he has to be born of a virgin, then it isn't lying to say that she was a virgin, even if you don't have any evidence to support it. Right. Somebody may not have said, oh, hey, uh, Mark uh, or Matthew, uh, Mary was a virgin when she gave birth to Jesus. Did you know that? And Matthew's like, no, I didn't know that. Wow. Well, I'm write that down. I'm write that down. Yeah. It's like more like I believe Jesus is the Messiah. And if he is the Messiah, that means he has to fulfill these prophecies. And I may not know if he did or not, but I'm going to make sure because I know he's the Messiah that all the Messiah prophecies are written down. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Like nobody told me he fulfilled these prophecies. I don't necessarily have a source right. that said he did, but I know he did. But, or, right. Yeah, obviously, this is just speculation on our part. Or like, well, and, and it's not necessarily like Matthew did this. If you yeah. think uh, how these stories of Jesus got propagated. It wasn't that people who knew Jesus were going to every single town in in the Roman world and telling the story, and they were the only ones allowed to tell stories. These It was Paul would show up in a town, and he would tell the stories to all the people, and then Paul would leave. And those people would tell other people, and they would tell other people, and they would tell other people. And along the way, they're just going to you know, make up stories. And so if you're adding things to the story and you know that there was a prophecy, you're going to just backfill to that prophecy you know it's just if you're the guy telling the better story people are going to listen to you i'm just saying right right (laughs) so you don't necessarily have to have any kind of conspiracy or dishonesty along the way it's human nature it's how the the stories grow over time yeah that's a great point that uh that the fulfillment uh, a prophecy fulfillment is only a real valid 
we could do a whole show on <laughs> but it's it's only really valid as evidence of something under some very special circumstances. First of all, the prophecy has to be specific. Being born of a woman who's of childbearing age, not super specific. Another uh, prophecy is he's born of a woman. Well, uh, yeah. I don't know. Did you see that movie <laughs> Junior with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger? Because oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. it's um, not a tumor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So the prophecy needs to be specific. It needs to have happened beforehand, right? And it needs to be in such a way that you couldn't retroactively fill it, right? Which that's not happening in the Gospels, right? So. Yeah, for Jesus' birth, obviously Jesus couldn't change his behavior to fulfill prophecy, but people writing the story certainly could. And during Jesus' life, if Jesus believes he's the Messiah and he knows what the Messiah is supposed to do, again, not necessarily self-fulfilled, self-fulfilled prophecy. prophecy. Yeah, right. And so the argument from prophecy for these things is not particularly persuasive. Also, the Jews don't agree that any of these are actually prophecies. Right. Yeah. That's that's yeah. If all these Jewish prophecies were fulfilled in Jesus, then how come no Jews are Christians? Which is interesting because well, I are actually, a couple, actually but... I remember thinking this as a Christian. Like, what are these dumbass Jews doing? Like, can't they see how many prophecies he fulfills? Yeah. Uh, I had I said the same thought. I was like, man, I felt so bad for him. But maybe, just maybe. As we talked about earlier, the experts in Judaism know something more about Judaism than I do. Yeah. Maybe they have a better understanding of their own religious text than me who's never read it. I can't see how Jesus couldn't be the Messiah. (laughs) Therefore, Therefore, he is. Therefore, he is, and he was born in Bethlehem, in a manger, and also in Egypt. And he, yeah, and virgins. So we've got these two different stories with some major differences. And so the natural question is, well, how do they fit together if they're both talking about the same events? For example, again, the huge trip to Egypt that's missing in Luke, but present in Matthew. And so it's important. So the two years, we should probably mention this now, some Christian apologetic apologists will use this as a way to harmonize the gospel, saying that when the wise men arrived, it was actually two years after his birth. And that's why the stories don't match up right away is because they're arriving at a different time. And that's why the two years or younger was given by Herod in that order. Right. So they, they could, well, there's a couple ways they do it. So Joseph and Mary, they leave, they go to Egypt, and then they come back. When in Luke, they leave Bethlehem after the time of, of purification, which is 40 days. And this and was then, a ritual purification that the woman had to undergo she had a bath and all stuff to wash away the the sins of birth right get all the nasty stuff off or whatever and now she's clean and she can go about her business and it's not it doesn't say explicitly that they go it, it says uh and when they had performed everything according to the law of the lord they returned into galilee to their own town of nazareth now it doesn't say explicitly that they didn't go to egypt and so what's, <laughs> what some people say is, well, Luke just didn't mention this trip to Egypt and also didn't mention that they stayed in Bethlehem for two years, like after the census. Yeah. It just wasn't relevant. You know, it, they liked Bethlehem and they wanted to stay, I guess. And yeah. He just cut out the, he was, you know, trying to trim down content. He didn't want to make it too long. He didn't say. Right. Right. I mean, we do have a half page genealogy but you know the the segue to egypt that's got to go uh obviously that that's not what the text says you know the the text is it's very clear from reading it that what it means is they when they were done in nazareth or bethlehem they went back home right and what matthew means is they didn't leave bethlehem because they were from bethlehem why would they leave until they were threatened with death and then they went nazareth and that, well, then they went to Egypt, then they came back to Bethlehem, realized that they weren't welcome there anymore, and then went to Nazareth. Well, see, what I did there was they just went to Nazareth. I just left out the part where they go down right. to Egypt. <laughs> exactly, right. And and so you, you could also harmonize it by saying, okay, well, they were in Bethlehem for the census, and then they went to Nazareth. And then sometime later, they went back to Bethlehem for reasons. And then that's when the wise men showed up. 
and then hair like you could if you are willing to jump through enough hoops you can put them together right but once again at that point you're no longer talking about the gospel according to matthew or the gospel according to luke you're talking about the gospel according to you and i think this is important christians tend to do this because you never see anybody but Christians trying to harmonize the gospels and make excuses. Right. But they do this because it's a, it's a problem for them that the stories don't match up and they're contradictory to, whereas if they were just to say, and just look at it from like a a different viewpoint, like, yeah, like underlying meaning there is there. It doesn't matter if the stories are different or whatever, uh, but they they jump through hoops over and over and over to try to get them to mash up. And you don't need to. And and it should be pointed out, we don't mean all Christians. There are many Christians who... All Christians. (laughs) Who have absolutely no problem with the fact that there are mistakes in the Bible. Because, you know, it's an ancient document written by people. So not a big deal. As long as, you know, the overarching themes are fine and Jesus did actually walk the earth, then who cares? Yeah. It tends to be more Uh, fundamentalist um, type there. It's only a problem if you have to hold to this mentality that the Bible cannot have errors no matter what, which is hard because it clearly has errors. Clearly. It doesn't have errors, bro. It's inerrant. Yeah. I think my favorite example of of this happening, Bart Ehrman's example of him, uh, it was a high priest that's mentioned in Mark that's mentioned elsewhere, and it's like a different high priest at the same time. And he like... He, he was doing this class and he wrote like a huge 10 page paper as to why they're the same person. And when Mark said this, he really met this other guy and, you know, whole huge long thing. And he got an A and the professor just put one note at the end, you know, good work, but maybe Mark just made a mistake. And Airman says that was the first time it just struck him. He's like, yeah, well, that makes so much more sense. <laughs> it's a lot easier too. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So if if you just this doesn't necessarily need to undermine your entire faith. It just needs to temper your understanding of this book as a historical document. Right. Well, some some uh Christian apologists have said that well, you know, Matthew got his story from Joseph and Luke got his story from Mary and so like they're just telling different bits and parts of the story and that's why they don't jive. So did but Joseph is supposed to be dead. Right, well, like he's he super a, old. Well, so like what they do is like there's a source, right? So like Matthew had a source who knew Joseph, and so uh, he's getting that that line of story. And like Luke had a source who knew Mary, and he's getting that line of story. So, so like, so, so like Joseph's buddy Fred totally forgot the whole Egypt thing. Is that? <laughs> yeah, I guess. Well, I mean, maybe when Joseph was telling the story, like he just didn't tell that part. Like I don't know. Maybe it was traumatic <laughs> for him. Like, he... <laughs> yeah. Who knows. But, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that they do to try to, you know, make it work together. So, yeah, so that's a quick, like, overview of the Nativity story. We're not here to, like, poke a hole in every little thing that doesn't match up. Uh, But what we wanted to do is really bring out this idea of reading the Gospels horizontally and taking that same method and reading the rest of the Gospels horizontally. Like, if you're... uh, if you're just interested in what differences there may be and you're a secular person or you're not religious, that's cool. If you're a Christian and you're like, well, wonder what else is in my Bible that's not, you know, jiving. Just go down and like find the passage in Matthew. That's the same passage in Mark and Luke. And sometimes John, there is some passages from John that are the same. They're not, they tell the same story. And, and write them down and just see what happens and, and read them passage for passage, not just book for book. And you'll be interested in what you find. You can uh, do it yourself with your Bible where you could get uh, parallel gospels. So Jared actually bought me a book called Parallel Gospels, a synopsis of early Christian writing by Ziba A. Crook. And it's not the only one like it, but there's, yeah, yeah. there's plenty like this. And what it does is it goes story by story, basically. Because the stories don't happen in the same order in every gospel. So it takes the stories, what they're, they're called, uh, is it Pericopes? Am I pronouncing yeah. that right? Yeah. A yeah. Per- um, well, now you have me wondering if that's how it's pronounced. Pericopes is what we said in school. So. Okay, well, then I'll, I'll take your authority then. Yeah. So Pericopes. Uh, so you can, th- uh, things like the parable of the lost sheep yep. is 
in all four gospels. And so you can look side by side and see what how it's recorded in Matthew, how it's recorded in Luke, how is it recorded in whatever. Usually these parallel gospels uh, books are really cool because they put them in like column form Mm -hmm. and you can see and like they'll space it out. So like if there is a section of a story that's left out of Luke, for example, like they'll have like a space and like a huge space in it where you could see, read the rest of that story over in Matthew and you're like, whoa, look how much stuff Luke didn't put in there or vice versa, you know? Right. And this is a really useful tool for highlighting that each writer is getting their own message across and they're telling their own story. So it's very, very stark with the nativity because the parallel gospel is that there is no parallel. They don't even bother putting them next to each other because they're completely different. Uh, And and so that's a very stark example. Obviously there's a lot more agreement elsewhere, but if you, if you read Mark, assuming it's saying the same thing as Matthew and assuming that they're both saying the same thing as Luke, etc., then you're really missing the point. Mm-hmm. You're, re- you're, you're missing the message that Mark wanted to give you or that Matthew wanted to give you. Yeah. And so even if you're coming from it from a faithful perspective, if this is the, the words if, of the ancient Christians trying to communicate something to you, shouldn't you want to get the message that the, the writers wanted to give you, right? Like, Yeah, and I, I would... I would think that would be important. I would think so too. And the other thing is like, it's not just in what they say, but what they don't say. So if you're reading, you know, Mar- uh, Mark, for example, or Luke, and Luke leaves out a huge section of a story that he got from Mark. Like, so it's verbatim, but he leaves out a whole middle section. You can be like, well, I wonder why Luke didn't put that in there. Like, was he just want cutting out space or was there some other reason he decided not to put that in there? And that or could help. Yeah. Or on the other flip side, if he's doing verbatim from Mark and then adds something yeah, and then keeps going, what did he add and why? Because he's writing after Mark. So what you'll find sometimes is they'll add apologetics for problems that cropped up. So Mark wrote his Gospels and then they, it caused some problems. And so they come up with answers and yeah. they add it to the next version, basically. And Mark's is like the shortest Gospel. It's like the abridged version. Right. <laughs> um but yeah, I think there's there's definitely some some benefit to doing that, even from a devotional standpoint, if you, if you're a faithful person. So, kind of circling back to what you said though about it um, seeming odd to us that people would do this for the gospel traditions. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like if you or I were going to be writing a story of say Abraham Lincoln, we would do our best to find sources and just not make shit up if we didn't know. Right. Right. Or at least if we're going to say something that we're not certain about, we'd make it very clear. That seems to be that's for modern sensibilities. That's the way you would do it. But in ancient times, particularly in a pagan context, this kind of thing was common and expected. If you when you had a man who had a lot of impact in the mod in your current time, if he was very powerful or or had was full of grace or intelligence, it was very common for miraculous signs and wonders to be ascribed to him after the fact, particularly around his birth. Yeah. There's a, a lot of historical figures have had miraculous births and not historical figures too, myth, mythological figures as well. But. Right. From just a couple from history, uh, Caesar Augustus, who was the nephew and adopted son of the great Julius Caesar. So he was the first Roman emperor to be crowned that didn't like conquer Rome. He came into power in 63 BCE and ruled until 14 CE. So he was the one in charge at the time of Jesus' birth, more than likely. He was written of by historians of the time. Uh, one of them was called Suetonius. And he, Suetonius is writing histories of a lot of different Roman emperors. Yeah. And so in his life of Augustus, 94, he has just a whole laundry list of miracles that accompanied the birth of Caesar Augustus, for instance. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they run the gamut yeah. of like, like, so one of them in ancient days, like back back in the day in the town of Velitre, part of the wall was struck by lightning and then a prediction was made. Those two three things do not appear at all connected in the text. I don't know why the lightning was relevant at all, but the bolt of lightning story, blew, man. <laughs> yeah, the bolt of lightning blew up the, the thing, and then someone was like, a citizen of this town will one day rule the world. And I'd be like, what does that have to do with the wall? 
dude. Like, but whatever. Maybe uh, that's like the ancient version of like somebody's light bulb went off in their head. Like, yeah. They didn't have a light bulb. Okay. So like lightning struck. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. And uh, Suetonius actually talks about like how they assumed that would be a, from their current times. So they like fought against the Romans, but they were wrong because it turns out the omen was predicting Caesar Augustus. Another one when uh when augustus was just learning how to talk he was speaking to his grandfather and some frogs were making a bunch of noise making it hard to speak so he told him to be silent and the frogs magically went silent and haven't croaked since that's hilarious some other ones augustus mother regarded him to be the son of apollo so like a snake came and bit his mother and then she did stuff with augustus father but there was like this mark and and that means oh he's the son of the god Apollo you know he was conceived magically by a snake yeah I mean there, there's a there's plenty and it's not just in the Near Eastern too like uh, there's an ancient Chinese um, Chi was said to have been conceived when his mother stepped into the footprint of a giant like so he had a miraculous conception that didn't involve a penile organ um, right uh, Alexander the Great was said to have been conceived by Zeus. A bolt of lightning struck his mother in the private area, and that made him <laughs> conceived of the stuff of gods. And when he was born, the temple of Artemis burned down at the same time. So boom, sign and wonder. And so it, you you can find lists after lists. And this isn't to say that Jesus, that the birth of Jesus is like copying the story of Caesar Augustus or of Chi or of Alexander the Great. It's not that so much as it is the story of the birth of Jesus fits the same kind of cultural mold as a bunch of other stories of the time. Right. Yeah. And oftentimes you will hear Christians say like how unique the, the story of Jesus is that he was a virgin birth and there was all this stuff. Well, it's really not that unique when you look back throughout history. In fact, it's quite common to have these kind of miraculous things happen around prominent figures. Right. It's like you could say that Cyclops from X-Men is unique and that there's no other superhero with the exact same backstory as Cyclops. And you'd be right. Probably, you know, barring plagiarism. There's going to be some comic fans getting all over you right now. <laughs> yeah. Up to the yeah. Pick a different comic figure if I'm wrong. But whatever. But the idea that there's a superhero that has these powers and does these things like that's completely normal. You know, yeah. there, there's tons of those. And so that's what we mean. He's in the same genre of powerful man who has miraculous birth mm -hmm. of some sort. And so these are the kind of stories that Jesus followers were used to hearing their entire lives. The story, the stories surrounding people like Alexander the great and Caesar Augustus and Achilles and Hercules would have been stuff they were raised with. And so it was completely normal for these exact same kinds of stories to be attached to Jesus after the fact. And if you really want to get in some wild stuff, pull out the infancy gospel of Thomas. Ooh, so good. <laughs> they need to do a Netflix, uh, like many episodes. There's like a mini series on that. That would be cool. Dude. Jesus is striking people down with lightning bolts. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Right. It'd be like the TV show Lucifer, except for with Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He doesn't like like a kid's bullying him, and he strikes that kid down dead. Yeah, the well, it, it's interesting because like they had to. The Gospel of Thomas really tries to grapple with like the fact that Jesus is God, like he's not just human; he's God, and he's trying to. It's learn almost like his powers, and yeah. so he has to be scolded. No, you can't just kill him because you can, and so then he brings him back to life. Like it's it's almost like like a Smallville kind of thing, where like. Jesus has this overwhelming power, but he's still a kid, but yeah. he's still God, you know? And so it's like, how do those factors play in where you have this kid with infinite power, but he's still a snot-nosed kid, yeah. you know? So even, like, it's not canonical. No one thinks it actually happened, but it's... And it's not even clear whether it was written intended to be, like, an actual gospel or if it was written more for entertainment. It's impossible to say. Right. But it is a really cool take on the Jesus figure. You know, yeah, that's that's my favorite Jesus. So. Yeah, spoiler, uh, he like it's the typical hero's journey. Like he starts out as a super jerk. He's killing people left and right. He's breaking the Sabbath. He's doing. He's the bad boy of Israel. And then he suddenly realizes like what his mission is and how he's you know 
not been doing the right thing. And he like goes back and like fixes all the problems he did. And then he goes and becomes Jesus on the cross yeah. or whatever. It's like the hero's journey of Jesus, which I think is a way cooler story than way cooler than the Matthew or Luke version. Personally, it always bothered me when I was uh, growing up that there was no like story of Jesus. Like he was born and like, they get like one little story of him in the temple. And then he's an adult doing stuff like, I'm like, come on, man. Like what happened? Like, especially when you're a kid, you want to hear what Jesus was doing when he's about your age, you know? It's like, right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Which, I mean, that makes sense. Why these infancy gospels you sprung up written, yeah. because the ancient Christians had the same kind of questions. Yeah. Um, and they clearly didn't have problems making stuff up. So that's our show, guys. I hope you enjoyed it, and you'll look at your uh, nativity scenes in front of your house or in front of your your local city hall if you're in the Deep South a little bit differently. Or maybe when you go over to your in-laws' house, you just take the the um, magi out. And... Well, what we what we want you to do is homework. First of all, because of coronavirus, we don't want you to go anywhere. So don't don't do this this year. But next year. We want you to take, for every nativity scene you see, we want you to make a historically accurate scene, one for Matthew and one for Luke, and make sure they don't get mixed up. Yeah. If, if you're a Christian and your church is going to put a nativity scene up outside, be like, hey, why don't we do two this year? Right. We need one for either gospel story. Yeah. Or you could have two nativity plays, and it would be even better because then you get, like, there's always, like, sheep number five because there's always more people than there are parts. <laughs> well, now you've got two plays. You can have two Josephs, two Marys, you know. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. Anyway, uh, thanks for listening. We hope you guys have a Merry Christmas or a Happy Hanukkah or enjoy whatever holiday you prefer to celebrate. If you enjoyed this episode, uh, give it a like on whatever platform you use to find it. Comment on there, or you can comment on our Facebook page. Those things really help out uh, the podcast. They let other people find it. Yeah. Um, and we do listen to your suggestions. So if you have anything you want us to do in the future or think we could do better, then definitely let us know. And until then, remember, you always have reason to doubt. Boom.